Good morning, guys. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was looking at that video again this week, and when she holds that little help sign up, I'm going, this week too, God, help, we need you so much. And that should be really our story of our life, is that we hold this sign up and say, God, Judy, you said it kind of in your deal in, in, the, in the room. She doesn't get out of bed without saying, okay, God, I am not getting out of this bed until you tell me you're going to do it today because I can't. And what a wise thing to say that we just really need God. Amen? We really do. And whether it's in Africa or whether it's here, and I'm starting to think maybe perhaps more here uh, even than a place called like, I like to ask Africa. So anyway, we're just glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, or maybe first time in a couple of weeks, uh, we are in the midst of a series we're calling Family Toolbox, and it's our family series. And, and the kind of the premise that we're jumping off on is this. You know, often we hear talk about thinking about outside the box. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes we are you know, eating food outside the Taco Bell, think outside the box. And, and, but we're thinking about this. Our premise is this. As followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, how different would our families be if we did family not outside the box, but inside the box? And inside the box means within the parameters of God's word. And this is so important because, again, as I pastor, and actually you don't need to be a pastor. You look around in the community and you see the, the, the devastation, the destruction, the weakness of family. Uh, we see it on the national level with the redefinition of marriage. Well, just all over you see that the family is under attack and, and we see the family falling apart. And so we, we need help and that help comes inside the box. So we want to dip inside the toolbox again today and we want to talk about uh, money today, but not really money, more like contentment. And I know that involves money, and uh, it's a really, really important topic. And so we're calling the, the sermon this week and next week, we're going to do a two-parter, is Plum Level. Plum Level. Um, you know, this is, um, I know, I'm sorry you guys can't see this in the back. I talked to Danny about blowing me up um, so we could see at least this part of the sermon big. Um, but anyway, you know, Plum Line, you know, and professionally, there's a thing called a bob. Okay, and you put a bob on the end of a line, line, and you hold it down. And if you want to know if something's vertically straight, you simply do this. Now I have an S hook on there and a piece of string. You could put a rock, you could put a tomato, you could put anything. You could put your wife on the end of the string. Okay, and and yeah, well we're doing family, you might as well do that. So anyway, so. Gravity, the law of gravity will pull this down and you can hold up next to the corner of a wall and you can see if vertically it is straight. So we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about finances, contentment, vertically. That is us to God and God to us. And then we've got um, a really big... I'm, see, you guys are learning about me. Y'all think that, that you know, I'm a girly girl because I don't have a lot of tools. I've got tools. I just don't know how to use them. Like, I was in, I was in, I don't know where this was. Task Force, Made, made in America, how about that? But anyway, I, I saw this big level, and I said to myself, every man needs a big level. I have never used it. But man, does it look impressive. It really does. So I've got this huge level, and you know how levels work. There's a little glass thing here with some green liquid in it, and there's a bubble. And when you get the bubble between the two lines, okay, then you have things are level. So the, the bob will tell us, the, the plumb line will tell us when we're straight this way. And then next week, we're going to talk about horizontal. We're going to talk about 
how we can have and be wise stewards of what God's placed in our hands and in the process really profit ourselves, help ourselves. So next week we're going to talk about part two and we're going to talk about the horizontal part. And these scriptures are found in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and they're just awesome and incredible scriptures. Now, there's no secret. Um, you know, Judy, in Africa... It's just such a different world. I, I remember the first time I went to Africa, I came back, and that was this year at that time. And I told you that I said, you know, it was so different, you might as well have gone to the moon. I mean, you, unless you've seen Africa, particularly the part where we worked in, where Judy works particularly in Mali and those areas. Um, it's just, you can't understand how different it is. And in America, you know, we are just inundated with things that tell us. Um, we're discontent. It breeds discontent. Now, in Africa, bottom line is that they really think a lot of their kids usually, and if your kids are kind of healthy and you've got a, you know, food for the next meal, not, not two weeks away, but if you've got food for the next meal, you know, life is pretty good. You're pretty content. Most of them will never own a car. They'll never have a television. They do have cell phones, uh, but they won't have those other things, you know? And so, so over there, life is just pretty content if you've got those two things we're going to talk about even today. But in America, now isn't it right? In America, we are blasted 24-7 with commercials that convince us we are not content. Am I right? I mean, oh gosh, car commercials. I mean, over and over again. You know, y'all know I've got this secret passion for a Mustang that I really will, will never really want or don't need, but man, I see these, these Mustangs on TV, and, and boy, I, I told the, the group Wednesday night, my first car was a 1962 Rambler with a rod knocking and no floorboards, painted with a paintbrush, royal blue with a yellow racing stripe. I mean, it was a fine machine, you know, and so I didn't have a muscle car growing up, and so in my fantasy somewhere out there, I go, you know, what if, you know, like I really need it, like what if. Um, Mike's my, my 02 Grand Prix with a six-cylinder has never seen the floorboard. I mean, I've never grown over 70 miles an hour with it, so, you know, I don't really need a muscle car. But it'd be so cool to have it. And I see these commercials, and even though I've got a grip on it, I don't need, I don't need. I, here it comes on TV. I want to start painting, drooling myself. You know, they're doing like circles and stuff on the asphalt, and they're mashing the gas, all that stuff. I'm going, oh man, oh man. We are just inundated with things that make us discontent. And I love it. You know, McDonald's said it first several years ago. You deserve a break today. Pepsi came out with one in 2010. You deserve. And it wasn't long ago on TV. We'll get you the car that you need. You deserve. You deserve. And we are inundated in a society that teaches us entitlement. That we are entitled to these things. And something I, I said the other day, when my daughter went to basic training, um, she came out of basic training, and one thing she said to me has never left me, and it was so important. And she said, Dad, you know what the Air Force taught me in basic training? Um, I said, like, how to make your bed? <laughs> you know, that would be a good start. <laughs> no, I, I bet you can remember saying this. She said, they taught me that the world owes me nothing. The world owes me nothing. But in America, we're inundated with this culture of discontentment. So that's what we want to talk about today. And I'll, I'll just, can I just be real candid with you? It's really cool that Judy is here today, uh, Judy Miller, um, because you know, the truth is, in America, 
If we could learn to be more content with what we have, there would be more funds available, kingdom dollars available, to reach this world for Jesus Christ. If, if we could just be content with what we've got, um, there would be a lot of dollars available. And I'm telling you, you know, I'm learning this. I really am learning this, is that you would be much more content and happier as a family. Our scriptures today are found in uh, 1 Timothy in chapter 6 and verse number 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 6. The, the, the love of money is something that just inundates our brain. We all have this passion to get more, to get more, and to get more. Listen to a song, the words from a song from 1973 by the OJs, and it came out on the Ship Ahoy album, and you will recognize, if you're again a 70s person, you'll definitely recognize these words. For the lo- and by the way, it's good theology. For the lo- well, yes, yeah, good theology. Yeah, it is good theology. For the love of money, people will steal from their mother. For the love of money, people will rob their own brother. For the love of money, people can't even walk the streets because they'll never know who in the world they're going to beat. For that mean, oh mean, mean green, almighty dollar, cash money. For the love of money, people will lie, rob. They will cheat. For the love of money, people don't care who they hurt or who they beat. For the love of money, a woman will sell her precious body. For a small piece of paper, it carries a lot of weight. Oh, that mean, 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 mean green, that almighty dollar. Talking about, talking about cash. I know that money is the root of all evil. Do funny things to some people. Give me a nickel, brother. Can you spare a dime? Money can drive some good people out of their minds. For the love of money, no good, no good, no good. For the love of money, don't sell your soul for money. No, no. Is that not good theology? But the truth is... A lot of us who follow Christ will do, have done, and will continue to do whatever it takes to get more. So, so Paul writes to this young preacher guy and, and writes a letter to him. His guy's name is Timothy. And here's how he starts. But godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the opening sentence in verse number 6. For godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, that but is there, so I just felt like we kind of need to back up just a little bit and see what the but is there for. And again, it just fits in perfectly. Let me read these to you real quick. Here's what Paul writes before he writes verse 6. If anyone teaches other doctrine... Now, Paul is going to tell you exactly how he thinks. He has a good way of doing that. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with a teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. For these come, from these come envy, quarreling, slander. And like I said, tell us how you really feel, Paul. Evil suspicions. And constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. And here's why I read it to you. Who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. That imagine, and the reason they imagine is because it's not true. The reason they imagine is because it's a false gospel. They imagine that godliness is a way to false gain. And why this is so important, even in the church today. Not just TV preachers. You hear this driving thing about a prosperity gospel that says, if you will trust Jesus, that you'll never get sick. If you'll trust Jesus, you'll never be poor. If you'll trust Jesus, you'll always have a job. 
And then those suckers will say on TV, if you'll send me some seed money, God will bless you tenfold. What has happened is that discontentment is being preached from pulpits and we've turned God into a Santa Claus. We've turned God into the fairy godmother. We've turned God into a soda machine where we put a quarter in and he'd better produce. Let me just tell you something. God is God. He is not the fairy godmother. God is God. He's not Santa Claus. God is not God. He is not the fairy. You rub his stomach and, and out comes your blessings. God is God. And listen, we exist for God. God doesn't exist for us. Now, come on, get that. We exist for God, not God existing for us. We Listen, I'm telling you, this theology has woven its way into our lives. So Paul says, beware. Because, he says, godliness is not a way to materialism. Godliness is not a way to amass wealth. It's just godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, we could talk a lot about godliness. And, and I told David I'd keep it short today because of the full schedule. So we won't do that, but I will tell you this. You know, godliness deals with the, our mentality, our core values, and how we see life. And godliness is found inside the box. When we, once again, I've said this several times, I'll say it several more before the series is over. This is an incredible book about life. And as we as Christ followers, when we begin following, and Judy, you said it again in Sunday school, in the Sunday school hour, you know, we're, this is not a member of a book club, the way she put it. That the word of God needs to be applied in our lives. It's not enough for you to come and hear me or Brent or David or some other teacher just spill information to you, wash over you, and it never impacts your life. It's so important that we let the word of God impact us. Listen to the words of Jesus as he said it. He said these words. The Spirit is the one who gives life. In other words, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So when we choose to do life, when we choose to do our finances, when we choose to parent, when we choose to do our marriage, when we choose to do our work ethic, when we choose our values... When we choose to do those things inside the box, that is within the parameters of God's word, it's a great thing. Your, listen, your life is going to get a lot less complicated when you choose to do life inside the box. Sir, when you choose life inside the box and you don't have to explain to your wife why you're watching pornography on the computer, your life is better. When, ma'am, when you don't have to explain to your husband why you had lunch with another guy and he wasn't there, your life gets better. When you don't have to explain to your kids why you talk about how they ought to love Jesus and at home you clearly don't, your life just gets better. So he says, godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, there are four things I grab from a commentary. Um, I think it's a life application commentary that really say it well. Here's four decisions Jesus calls us to. And again, I can't expound much on them, but they stand by themselves. So if you're taking notes, write these down. First is this. We need to focus. If we want to have contentment, okay, if we want to have contentment, godliness with contentment, then we need one to focus on what we have. Now, now, again, let me pause. Let me pause. So many of you 
spend so much time telling God why you don't like Him because He hasn't given you enough. Some of you are angry at God today because, God, I wanted this and you didn't give it to me. May I make a suggestion? May you reflect back on the day when you discovered that a man named Jesus died on a Roman cross like this, shed his precious blood, became sin for you, experienced the wrath of his father, and because of his sacrifice and your acceptance of what he did, that your feet will never touch the, hell, the fires of hell, and that you will go to heaven one day because of his amazing grace, that you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, someone who will never leave you nor forsake you, when your child is sick, a God who will stand by you, when you don't have a job, a God who will stand by you, when you have a, a loneliness and depression in your life, a God will stand by you. But if you'll think about what God already did for you, you won't think about so much what God didn't do for you. Be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Now again, it's not our fault. We have been taught this thing about God serves us. God serves us for generations. We thought through, through the decades. The truth is, what happened there is enough to be grateful a thousand times over. For all eternity. So godliness with contentment. Be thankful for what you have. Um, disregard what you don't have. Disregard. Don't focus what you don't have. I like the third one. Uh, um, don't covet what others have. He's got it and I don't. He's got it and I don't. Don't, don't do that. And, and, and rather, thank God for all you have. Be thankful for what you have. And those four decisions are key. Let me read them to you one more time. Focus on what you have. Disregard what you don't have. Don't covet what others have. And be grateful for what you do have. When you start applying that, it impacts our life. And we become more content. More content. So godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, if you're, I'm a foodie person. I'm a foodie person. Let me describe, if you're a foodie, you'll understand this. I don't like to go to gourmet restaurants. Because they, they charge you like a zillion dollars. And they bring your plate out. And there's like an olive, a grape tomato, and maybe like an ounce of meat. And they sprinkle some sauce on it that you can't even pronounce. Now, I've, I've been... I think once to a really nice restaurant like that. And Judy, you don't remember this. Maybe, maybe you do. It was in Kansas City. And we went to some fancy Japanese restaurant. You know what we did? We stopped on the way home at McDonald's. Because <laughs> believe me, I was not content. So there are times discontentment is from having too little. But there's been times. And it happens at church. You guys are such awesome cooks. And we have those, those Southern Baptist potlucks. And you go in there and you're like, i got to have a little bit of this. i got to have a little bit of this. And, and you get that stuff and it's so good. You keep eating, you keep eating, you keep eating. And guess what? Before long you're going, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I am miserable, i.e. I am discontent. So sometimes being so full is discontent. But sometimes you just get it right. You have... This, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. And you get from the table going, you know what? And I've said these words, Judy, I feel just right. And I really think that's where God wants us. God wants us where it's just right. And that just right is right hand in hand with Jesus Christ. Godliness with contentment 
is great gain. Let me tell you a story. How would you measure great gain? Well, in the world, it's a story like this. Now, you're not going to believe this. This is too cool. Actually, some of you are going to get up out of your chairs and you go home and kick yourself in the bottom. Okay? Here's how it goes. Let me get the name. His name was Ning Wang. You can guess he wasn't German. Best I've got, folks. Best I've got. Okay? <laughs> Ning Wang. And this is a true story because I looked up, you know, again, it was in CNN. True story. So... Ning Wang and his wife, and I didn't even try her name. I went with the short one. In 1998, they bought 100 shares of Apple stock. 100 shares of Apple stock. Now, let me put this in perspective, Brent. In 1998, that was just two years before I came to be pastor with you guys. Okay? So just, just 15 years ago, 17 years ago to 1998, just 17 years ago... They bought 100 shares of Apple stock. And they paid $34 a share. Now do the math. 34 times 100 is $3,400. Okay? So for $3,400, they bought 100, or, yeah, 100 shares of Apple stock. You know what's worth today? Not quite $1 million. Yeah! I told Judy, I said, dang, we could have done that. We had $3,400 somewhere. I'd have borrowed it from Brent if I'd known him, man. Man, I'd have, I'd have had it somewhere. Almost a million dollars. And listen, you don't have to be a rocket scientist and go, that's great game. That's great game. But here's the problem. That million dollars would be incredible. But what does it do for eternity? See, Paul is not talking about a good investment in Apple stock. He's talking about when we live inside the box and we learn this thing of Jesus being enough, then there's this gain that can't be measured in earthly terms. And that's, we have such a tendency to do that. We tend to measure our success in earthly terms. And for followers of Christ, it's too big for that. Well, this is probably going to be different than we thought anyway because of the clock. But, so I'll go ahead and say this now. Given the opportunity, every one of us would have bought, I think, that had any kind of money at all, would have bought those 100 shares and we'd all be enjoying a million dollars in our portfolios. But what could that million dollars do if the doctor says you've got 30 days to live? What would that million dollars do if the phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning and says, stay please saying, I'm sorry, but your child was in an accident? What would that million dollars do in the face of immediate devastation? Think about it. See, that's the wonder of Christ. The things he offers, the peace that he offers, the assurance that he offers, the wisdom that he offers, the forgiveness that he offers, the hope that he offers is eternal. It goes beyond 
And when that doctor says, and that phone call comes, and that experience, that circumstance happens, he is more valuable than Apple stock. He's more valuable than the million dollars. Again, I'm going to jump around now because I see it happening. Listen, this is one of our side scriptures on your sermon sheet. Listen to this. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? This is Jesus speaking. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Those are great questions. So what are you willing to give in exchange for your marriage? What are you willing to give in exchange when the doctor says it's cancer and it's terminal? What are you willing to give for your children? What does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Now I'm telling you, because of the culture that we live in, Because of the culture we live in, this is what they are selling. You deserve. Go all in. Give it all because this is all there is. And if you're a child of God, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a disciple, you know that's not true. This 70, 80 years, it's a prelude to the big one. Come on now, somebody say amen. This is not heaven. This not, listen, this isn't home. That song, the old gospel song says, it will be worth it all, and it will. Can I tell you something very candidly and very truthfully? I'm worried about something. I'm concerned about something. I I, I won't give you the details of why it stays on my head these days. But I'm afraid that when my time comes, that it will be said that I was a better pastor than I was a daddy. that someone's going to say he was a better pastor than a husband. I'm afraid someone's going to say that he was a better pastor than a grandparent. And if it comes down to that, I won't say I failed, but I missed the mark. What is it in your life? What is it that should cause you pause when you think about your funeral? And someone says, he was a better CEO than a dad or a husband. He was a, 
Now listen to this one. He was a better provider. I mean, he made sure his kids had the labels. He made sure his kid had all the toys. He made sure his family had a great house. He was a great provider, but... What is it in your life that gives you that pause? I'm glad to report to you whatever it is, it's not too late. Because I'm telling you... Since we're talking about family inside the box, I'm telling you that one of the most important things can be said to, about you is that he, well, he was a Christ follower. But when you really are a Christ follower, then you become the dad or the, or the husband or the wife or the mom that you need to be. And world. Listen, the world will tell you work 70 hours a week because your family needs the things. No, your family needs you. One of the things I'm going to say about Jim Dunn this afternoon that that was spoken about him around the family table. You want to know why Jim didn't run for the second term as sheriff? He ran one term and said, that's it. One of his kids got sick, seriously sick. This kid was grown. And he said, I realized that time with my family is more important than being sheriff. And the reason he didn't run a second time, and you know, Jim was a very popular guy. He most certainly probably would have gotten reelected. But he said, family is more important. I'm telling you guys, this is true. So don't be driven by this this false theology of you deserve, they've got to have. It's most important. What's important is God, you, and them. God, you, and them. Well, how does that work, Dwayne? How does it work? It works by, go back to verse number seven with me. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. You know, there's a great... They came up with this thing about Las Vegas, you know. Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, I know, in case you're feeling really, really spiritual today, I know there's a way that you can send it forward. I know... When you have right priorities and you invest in the kingdom of God and God's economy, somehow it follows you to heaven. But have you figured out that by and large, physically, what happens here stays here? You don't take the diamond ring, the Rolex, the BMW, the Cadillac, the the Mustang, the five-bedroom house. It don't go. It's... Temporal. If you've got a brand new Mercedes, $70,000, I can buy that Mercedes in 10 years and it'll be in nice shape for about five. You know why? It devalues. What is here stays here and deteriorates. You know that great war between the states, what we call the Civil War. All those rich southerners poured all their money into confederate money. They bought confederate bonds. And the south lost. And they lost. 
When you invest in this world for the things of the world, you're going to lose. Because you know why? It stays here. It stays here. But there's a way to take it with you. And that's when you invest in the kingdom. You put God first. And you learn to be content. Your family profits. He goes on and says this. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Ah, it's just a simplistic thing. I don't, it's just simplicity. It, it's not, you know, again, I'm going to talk to you next week. I shouldn't tell you that probably because you're already going, I don't think he's doing this again. We're, we're going to late next week. But don't forget, the Bible says, the Bible says, not Billy Hinn, the Bible says, God has given us all things to richly enjoy. God's not against things. He's not against Mustangs. He's not against five-bedroom houses. He's not against things. But He's against things owning you. When your stuff owns you, instead of you own the stuff, you're in deep weeds. There's somehow there's a simplicity that we find this balance of contentment. And that's what God wants us to reach. How do we get there? Well, we're almost done. Actually, we're going to leave a chunk out. Another side note. And this one comes from Philippians chapter 4. This is Paul. Paul says, I know. I know both how to have a little and I know to have a lot. Okay. So, so Paul says, I know. And the word know there is experience. So this isn't hypothetical. You know, you might be you know, without a job today. And you say, Dwayne, you ever been without a job? You, you, might, you might say, you know, Dwayne, I'm supposed to be content with just food. But if you've ever been where I am. Well, well Paul would say, listen. By experience, here's what I know. I know how to have a little. In other words, Paul said, I know how to know. I just didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. (laughs) I've been where I didn't know if there would be a tomorrow. Because they were bent on cutting my head off. Paul says, I know how to have a little. And and there have been times I've had a lot. This may be a reference back when he was still a Pharisee and quite wealthy and well-known. And I'm sure there were better times when he was a Christ follower. He goes on and says this. In any and all circumstances, in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. He said, this contentment that I found, the secret I found, is not affected by circumstances. So he said, in times when I was hungry, it works. In times when there was a... Southern Baptist potluck, it works. When, when there was time, it just seemed over an abundance, it works. When the cow was sickly and lean, it works. It's interesting because I'm going to give you a precursor of what he's fixing to say. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Now, in the Greek culture, that, that word being content means to be self-sufficient. It means self-made. We love to say, well, I'm a self-made man. Didn't, didn't get my money from daddy. I made it. Self-made man. And the Greek it meant self-sufficiency. And Paul, and frankly, a lot of early first century Christians turned it from, now listen, Turn it from self-sufficiency to Christ 
sufficiency. Paul took that play on words that the Greeks had of self-sufficiency, said, listen, I'm content not because I'm self-sufficient, but because I'm Christ-sufficient. You get that? In other words, Christ was enough. Christ was enough. It wasn't impacted by hunger or, or abundance of food. It wasn't impacted by whether he was in jail or not, not in, you know, in jail. Free or, free or slave, it didn't matter. Christ was enough. Now, my question is this. I know what I'm saying today is so countercultural. You might be going, are you in, a, are you in 2015? Or are you some other place in time? So I know, I know it's countercultural. But my question is this. Can Christ be enough? It has to be in Africa, G. Because those people just don't, those believers, they don't know if they're going to live the next day. When a, when a Muslim becomes a Christian, who's his daughter going to marry? Because you can't, they count you as dead. Where are you going to get buried? Because there are Muslim cemeteries and, and a Christian can't be buried in a Muslim cemetery. Can Christ be enough? In our culture? And the answer is yes. It simply is putting him first. Here's, here's how Paul words it for us I am able to do all things. I'm able to be content when I'm well fed. I'm able to be content when I'm hungry. I can be content when I'm in jail. And I can be content when I'm out of jail. I can be content when things are going good, and I can be content when things are not going so good. I am able to do all things through him. King James, I think, says, through Christ Jesus, who strengthens me. The secret is, Jesus is enough. Now, as I've said, I know that's so countercultural. Inside you may be going, Sounds good, preacher. Ain't livable. It is. In fact, not only that, the enemy doesn't want us to know this. Because the enemy wants us in bondage. See, see, when we talk about gluttony, when we talk about gluttony, the first image that comes to our brain is a really like engorged fat animal or person. Just just huge and just stuffing food. I told them Wednesday night that the definition of gluttony, the biblical definition, is, is at their feast they would engorge themselves with food and they'd go outside and they'd throw up and come back and eat again. Kind of a graphic, but that's what it was. So when we think about gluttony, we think about this engorged person. But here's what we don't understand. Is that a normal person, and perhaps starving, perhaps not, but just can't get enough food, is as gluttonous as what we would call the the larger person. It's the craving for food and the consumption of food more than we need that makes a glutton. Not the size of the body. 
In other words, whether you're here today and you live on $20,000 a year, and you say, I want more, I want more, I want more, I deserve more, I want more, or whether you're worth $15 million and you're saying, I want more, I want more, I want more, both are gluttonous. What stops the gluttony is the direction of what we're craving. If we take that gluttony and take the focus off of the things of this world that we think we have to have to be content and focus it on Christ, it changes everything. I guess I'm trying to say, we need to be gluttons, all right. But we need to be gluttons not for the things of this world, but for the things of God. Gluttonous for the things of God. And I just love it. Oh, I just love it when the Word of God, well, it's just so, to me, it's just so powerful. But I love it when the Word of God has personal application. And this does. How different would your life be if you find yourself craving the things of the world? How different would your life be if that craving was gone? What if you no longer felt compelled you had to work 70 hours not to buy the food in the house, but to pay for all the things? And all that, you were happy with it. You could see Joe in his new pickup truck and say, Nice car, Joe, and really mean it. How much different would your family be if, if they had more time with you? They might not have as much physically, but there's time to love one another. It'd be a different world, wouldn't it? And that's what God wants. Let me use the last verse on the sermon sheet as my closer. My, I call this the, this is the this is the greatest bottom line in Scripture as far as the sermon goes. It's uh, Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 5. I mean, it's like, it's like a, if you want to take one verse home, take this verse home today. And we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Keep your life free from the love of money. We didn't get that part of it. But keep your life free from the love of money. Check. Be content with what you have. Check. And remember, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Check. Keep your life free from that craving for more. Check. Keep your life in a balance of contentment with what you've got. Check. And be content with what God's already done for you. Check. Would you bow your heads right here, please? If, if I could. Dwayne, where are you at in this? I'm learning. I'm learning. I, I went to the Bass Pro Shop on vacation. And I was walking down the aisle and the guy stopped me and said, Hey, how would you like to have a free vacation? I said, You know what? I'm okay. I'm good. How would you like to raise you for a new bass boat? I said, No, really, you know what? I'm content today. Thank you very much. He turned out to be another. He was a, I was a pastor, of course. He was a pastor. 
And we talked a little bit about God, how God was working in our lives. But it's such a good feeling to just say, you know what? I'm okay. I used to go to Target and Best Buy and run from end rack to end rack looking for the ultimate deal. And leaving disappointed if I couldn't find something 85% off. I still like to find a good deal. You know what? I'm okay. I'm okay. Have you arrived? Uh Uh-uh, don't you hear that? Just saying I make a little progress in this. You know what? It's good. It's good. God, thank you so much for teaching us. Thank you that it's just a lifelong journey of learning to be like your son, Jesus. And Father, from, my, from the very depths of my heart, with as much authenticity as I can muster today, I pray for our families. I know, Father, I know the destructive power that, that works in this theology, this, this, this worldview of never enough. And you have come to set us free. We're so grateful to live in the richest nation in the world. We have so much. All of us do. Help us, God. Help us, God. Help us, God. To learn to be content. Content with you. And content to where you've put us. Father, it is. Paul used these words. I have learned to be content. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And this disciple is asking him this morning, Lord, teach us to be content. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.